Hello, everybody. Good morning. I, uh, um, the last 12 hours have been uh, some uh, tough hours. We um, got some news last night, and I just kind of wanted to, our whole congregation um, t- um, to know um, some of the things that have, have happened recently. We've been um, going down to Peru. Um, a bunch of us have been going down there for the last about eight years. I think we've done about, um, about 14 trips uh, that we've gone down to Peru. We've spent a, a a lot of time and made a lot of um, connections. And um, I was just recently actually there uh, two weeks ago with a few of us here in the church. And um, the main um, pastor in Lima is uh, Elsa Gomez. And um, she's been there the entire time. And um, she's a great woman. And uh, last night, um, she was um, shot and killed and um, she was uh, she was in the serv- uh, she was actually having a, a service for the kids, and um, a guy came up on a motorcycle and uh, asked her uh, said uh, for Elsa to come outside, and he shot her three times, and um, and um, she died. She uh, was an amazing woman. A lot of people here have gotten a chance to uh, go down to that church and be a part of it. And um, she'll be greatly missed. And um, she currently, she had two girls in her home that didn't have families. And um, she also was, uh, she ran the, um, she ran the men's home too. So there were five men that were, um, that she was um, helping out and she was married. And um, she had two of her own kids and she had some grandkids. And um, this is, it's been tough for a lot of people. People and um, this is um, a lot of you know Pastor Ever in our church, and um, this is his uh, sister, and so his his family is going through a um, a really hard time right now. But we wanted everybody to know because so many people have um, been a part of this church and prayed for. And like I like I said, uh, there were a few of us that were just down there um, even two weeks ago. We just had a um, ate lunch with her two weeks ago. Just. Um, we had um, we had a nice lunch with her and just told her how appreciative we were of her and all that um, she has done for so many people's lives um, and for the people in Peru and um, and um, so she will be greatly missed and um, we just thought everybody should know that and we also wanted to just take this time um, to pray for uh, her family and loved ones. Yeah, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, um, we're reminded, we're reminded why it is you came. And um, we're reminded that um, at this time of year when you hear swell up from around the world, cries of Merry Christmas and come quickly, Jesus, come. Not all of those cries are outright joy, but joy being tested and tempered by a time of mourning and a time of weep and a time pleading for help. And Father, we plead, we plead with you for help. Ask that you be with Everett and Elsa's daughters and grandchildren and the people that she has been so lovingly caring for and draw close to them all. 
be with our sister church just outside of Lima, Peru, as they're shocked, I'm sure, as we are. Have them feel your presence, Father, and your love, and help us as we look at how it is we can come alongside in the coming days and weeks and months, and to help take that church and those good people, brothers and sisters, by the hand, and Use us, Father, to help lead them through this uh, dark valley. Father, even, um, even people's lives like Ryan's, who are especially marked with exuberant joy, feel the weight of when the devil takes his best shot and it lands. Father, please do what you always relentlessly do when the devil seemingly thinks he gains a means for discouraging and discrediting and hurting and hampering your love. and Join us incarnationally just as you did with Jesus coming. Join us incarnationally now in this pain and in those broken pieces that the devil decides to scatter. Join us in and among those broken pieces and revive us, rebuild us, and redouble our boldness and our love for you and others again. Father, I just ask this in the priceless, powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Ryan. I got the news um, about what happened down there uh, late last night, as we all did, because it happened late last night, and uh, just took the wind out of my sails as far as, yeah, go, uh, go and preach. And um, so I prayed, and, and God put on my heart, uh, Todd, uh, take a look again at the message that we've been working on together. So I took a look again, and in many ways, many foundational ways, this is a message about uh, Elsa Gomez, the Ebenezer, the Standing Stone. And so it's in that light with this slain sister in Christ that uh, I found a footing, and maybe we can hear a little bit with those ears um, as we remember and um, mourn Uh, this great loss, even as we celebrate the partnership that we did have with her and the legacy she leaves as an Ebenezer. We've uh, been talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. Specifically, we've been looking at how each of those spirits came alongside of Scrooge and, and gave him something to help transform him. And uh, in Dickens' eyes, it's even more than transformation. It's outright redemption. It's salvation. What saves this man from the torment of hell that his dead partner, Jacob Marley, is going through? His dead partner who comes back and tries to warn Scrooge so he too can escape this fate that fell on Marley because he didn't see Lazarus at his gate, who needed help. I can't say for certain if I get a chance, I'll ask Dickens someday, but I gotta be, hey, Charles, 
You must have been thinking the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, only you let the rich man come back and warn. Because really, Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, is just that. It brings that parable to life. And like the rich man in the parable, Jacob Marley is in torment because he didn't see the poor that God has laid there at his gate. And so the spirit of Christmas past comes. And we traveled back with him and Scrooge as the spirit helped Scrooge, hoped that Scrooge would remember his first love. In Scrooge's case, Isabel, his fiancée. And the spirits hoped that maybe if Scrooge would see again that hot, white, passionate, excited, exuberant, overwhelming first love, when we're just overwhelmed with it, that that would catch hold in him again and help, help unsqueeze, unscrooge, literally, his heart. This week, we get to the spirit of Christmas present. What did this spirit who visited Scrooge give to Scrooge to help transform him, to bring about his redemption? One visit, one visit in particular that the spirit of Christmas present makes that deeply impacts Ebenezer is the visit they make to the humble and poor home of Bob Cratchit and his family. And as we see Scrooge and some of the film adaptations rub the frost off the window and, and peer into this humble, poor family's home, we see in his face and his demeanor that a longing begins in Scrooge to be a part of that to be a part of that warmth and that love for one another. And it touches Scrooge, especially tiny Tim Cratchit, the sick and crippled and dying boy. Something about his need gets through this squeezed man's heart. And he asks the spirit, will the boy live? And the Spirit's response is, well, if the shadows of the future remain unchanged, I see an empty chair with a crutch leaning against it. And it breaks a piece, it cracks a piece of Scrooge's hardened, squeezed heart. For you see, suddenly Ebenezer Scrooge feels his responsibility for the poor, dying boy. Or in other words, the rich man finally sees a Lazarus in the form of the son of his underplayed, underpaid clerk lying there at Scrooge's gate. He sees him, Scrooge does, and his responsibility to help him and my friends, Dickens' razor-sharp point here, I don't need to make it a metaphor, as I did with first love being our first love of God, like first love of Scrooge Isabel. 
This one's not metaphorical. This one is as real and as concrete and as biblical and as direct and as literal as it gets. It comes directly from the foundation stones of the Bible itself, God's Word. And that's because it comes directly from the bottom of God's great, big, huge heart. His heartbeat that beats constantly in everything he does, in all who he is, in his desperate attempts to partner fully with us. His heartbeat that just beats, hey, remember the love that you and I have, God Remember the love between us, God says to us. And out of that love, out of the power of that love, out of that overwhelming buoyancy and determination of that love, please partner with me in caring for the poor. Please. Every beat of God's heart pleading with us to partner with him in caring for the poor. This love of God and love of others is the path to our own transformation and yes, even redemption in Christ just as Scrooge's first love and love of others was the key to, to his. And you know, this shouldn't surprise us. Many of you have guessed it already. After each of the first two sermons, you've come up to remind me what's been written above my head. And you said, hey, 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 that sounds a lot like Shema. And those of you say, shh, saving that for week three. We're talking about it again. We can't get away from it. Truly, all of God's word and passion and love in Jesus' words hangs on those two commands. Jesus is right. Go figure. No truth. None. I'll st if a purported truth does anything to contradict or come against, love God and love others, it is a lie. There is no truth in it. Because all of God's word, Jesus says, hangs on, rests on those two commands. So we shouldn't be surprised that here we are again. And it's more than our mere transformation at issue. It is our redemption too. Remember, one of those experts asks Jesus, not only what's the greatest commandment, not only what's the most important, but in Luke the question is, what must we do to inherit eternal life? <sighs> and Jesus affirms the answer, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your might, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, is how we inherit eternal life, according to Luke. 
Now, I don't want to get into the relationship between faith and grace and works. That's out there. We've talked about it before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But remember, faith without works is not a saving faith. It's dead. And somehow the two work in partnership together. And theologians, and we can wrestle with how it is that that works and what in the world's going on. And I know it's grace plus nothing saves me. That's absolutely true. And I know that out of my love of God must come including my own effort and my own all and all my might, works of love. And we want to say, well, wait a minute, you can't have both. Yes, it is both. And however that works out, and we can continue to debate it theologically until we're blue or Christmas red in the face, however that works out, please remember our obedience and our love of others is wrapped up very tightly in our very salvation, my friends. And it has to be. Immediately following Jesus' affirmation of that being what's required to inherit eternal life, love God and love others, follows the parable of the Good Samaritan, where others is defined as absolutely everyone, including even our enemies. That's what God's heart beats for. Every pulse. Please, in the short time that we have here together, Please, our Heavenly Father begs us, will you partner with me? Use my power. Here it is. I'm not going to force you to, but here it is. Just take it. Let's do this together. And let's help the poor. Let's go to the needy. Let's visit the oppressed. Let's heal the cripples. Let's tap into all of my might together. Let's, what are you waiting for? How is it that you've become so squeezed? Last week we talked about remembering our first love. And so maybe this week the reminder is to remember God's first love. People, especially the poor in the text. Did you ever notice? Abraham says to the rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, well, the rich man is pleading with Abraham, please, Father Abraham, he says, send Lazarus back. Send anyone back. Some will go back. Warn my brothers. Warn them to go look around their gate for the Lazaruses that you have brought them to help and they're ignoring. Warn them. And Abraham's reply, remember, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now remember, the rich man is Jewish. Presumably his brothers too. He calls them repeatedly Father Abraham in the parable. And so if there's anyone who should know that the responsibility of the poor is the responsibility of God's people, it's them. And it's us. Listen to God's heart. In this instance, through Moses and Torah, of all places, Deuteronomy, listen to God's heart for the poor. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be uh, hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Ooh. Tight-fisted. 
twisted. That sounds like Scrooge, isn't it? In fact, it's the same exact word that Dickens uses in his introductory paragraph to who is Scrooge. Tight-fisted. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be tight-fisted toward your brothers, toward the poor. Rather, God continues, be open-handed and freely give whatever he needs. Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Why? So you can just have it to hog for yourself? Why would he do that? So you can give all the more. When we give, 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 and sacrifice, 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 you don't have to worry. I'm going to run out. I've got to save some for me. God says in Micah, trust me in this. Trust me in bringing your tithe and offering and sell. Trust me. You pour yourself out like those loaves and fishes. Ain't ever going to run out. Because I'll be fueling it in. We'll be doing it together. Like LaRue said, you ain't going to give faster than what I'm giving you to give. Hear his heart for the poor in Torah. And it's everywhere in the text. If anyone should know that the poor are the responsibility of God's people, it's God's people. Genesis through Revelation. Abraham in the parable mentions the prophets. If we would take the time to try and hit every time in the prophets where God pleads with his people to care for the poor, it would take hours and hours and hours. Here's one from Isaiah. God says, listen to his heart. Is this not the kind of fasting, that is to say, is this not the kind of obedience and love that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to, to, to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Or how about Amos, where even our long-suffering and patient God finally, finally, after centuries, has to step in and discipline his people? Why? What's the thing that gets God off of his long-suffering throne and sends him running? Amos 2, verse 7, my people, they trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. If anyone should know that the responsibility of caring for the poor is the responsibility of God's people, we should know, we of all people should know. Jacob Marley is lamenting to Scrooge at, at what a poor job Marley did in life. Marley is filled with regret. It just seethes from him. And as Scrooge starts to identify with Marley, he interrupts and tries to defend Marley, but it's really a defense of himself. And he protests, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Oh my goodness, Marley nearly erupts. In response, and Dickens writes, Marley wrings his hands as he says, Business!
business. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. And Marley's ghost continues his lament in deep regret. At this time of the rolling year, December and Christmas time, when it turns over from one year to the next, at this time of the rolling year, Marley says, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raised them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Hear me, Ebenezer, my time here is short to warn. If anyone should know the responsibility of the poor is the responsibility of God's people, we should. How does the ghost of Christmas present help Scrooge find redemption? He reminds Scrooge. He takes Scrooge to a place and he hopes to remind Scrooge that the responsibility of the poor and the oppressed and the needy are his. Jesus is invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. And a poor woman is there, without question, in my mind at least, a prostitute. Bible doesn't use the word prostitute, but uses a very common idiom for a prostitute, a woman living in sin. And if indeed a prostitute, then without, well, very likely forced into prostitution to survive because God's people had disobeyed Torah and failed to take care of her needs. And there she is, broken. And the Bible tells us she's weeping. Somehow she makes herself into Simon the Pharisee's house. It seems she came a little bit later because Jesus is already reclining at the table eating. First century, you'd lay down on one arm and on your left arm and you'd reach with your right. So his feet are stuck out behind him, probably on some, some cushions or a bench. And we read that she's standing there at his feet. And all she's doing as she's standing there is she is weeping. And then we read that her tears fall down and wet Jesus' feet at her feet. I've always wondered whether she did that on purpose. The Bible doesn't say. Or was she just standing there sobbing and at the feet of the great rabbi, the great teacher, the one who, oh, for the longest time she hasn't heard a word of hope. The one who she's heard uh, hangs out with prostitutes, empathizes with sinners, 
and touches them. Is she at his feet just waiting for a moment to interrupt the great rabbi to ask him her questions or to look into his eyes? And as she's standing there weeping, she just notice, oh, I'm getting his feet all wet. <laughs> and then her, her knee-jerk reaction, which probably where this idiom came from, her knee-jerk reaction is to go down, and now that his feet are wet, to wipe his feet. And she wipes his feet with her hair. Why not her robe? We don't know. A woman's hair in the text is one great symbol for her her righteousness before God, her beauty as a woman. I wonder if that's why the hair. Maybe the last symbol she's clinging to in her hope of forgiveness. So she wipes his feet with her hair, and Jesus, of course, and then takes out a bottle of expensive perfume and dabs it on his feet. Simon the Pharisee is watching disgusted, and he mumbles to someone next to him. He's disgusted that a sinner would touch the great rabbi's feet. And he surmises, well, Jesus must not know that she's a disgusting sinner, or he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus instantly responds to the murmur, and he tells a real pointed story about forgiveness and mercy and love. And then the text says, he turns to the woman toward the woman, but says to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? Clearly implying that Simon does not. And he forgives her. Because she loved much, Jesus says. Oh, my brothers and sisters, do we see her? Do we see Lazarus at our gate? Do we see our neighbors in need? Do we see tiny Tim? Do we see the poor? Or have we allowed ourselves to grow ignorant of our responsibility for the poor? Ignorance that one ghastly-looking child under the ghost of spirit, uh, spirit of Christmas presents robe named ignorance that Dickens warns us most about because he knows from ignorance will come indifference. Have we become ignorant and indifferent of our responsibility, our Responsibility for the poor around us? The Apostle Paul shares with us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
probably a verse that many of you have learned. The question I'd like to ask is, for what purpose this fruit? Fruit's meant to be shared and eaten, right? I've yet to see a fruit tree that eats its own fruit. And so it's out of love that we share with others. It's out of our joy, our peace, and our patience. It's out of our kindness and goodness and our faithfulness, which is seen in our care for the poor, as is our gentleness. And when we have self under control, well, now I've got room made for the Holy Spirit in me to plant even deeper that seed for care and concern of others when self is under control. Those are wonderful fruits, but they all point to Shema, as all truth does. The mark of the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, in your lives or in our lives as a community, is love. Love of God, yes, but love of God by loving others, because the second is like it. The renewed community of God at Pentecost in Acts 2. Peter gives his story, tells his speech, there's conviction. They remember their first love of God in the parallel to Sinai in that great event. Oh, that's right. We've forgotten. And then what do they do? They continue to dwell on the apostles' good teaching. And Peter gives it and continues to do it. But in remembering that first love that Peter's teaching brings about, what does Acts 2 tell us? They devote themselves to fellowship, to shared meals, and to prayer. And then this radical comment in Acts. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. That's the mark of Pentecost. That's the mark of the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters. Scrooge forgot about that kind of love. But he responded when he was reminded. Well, we let Dickens remind us. And will we respond in the same way? Today's the day. If you put money into the red envelope, please pick one up on your way out. We took all your money. We counted it up. Uh, around $3,000. Praise God. Then we redistributed the money in random amounts back in the red envelopes, and they're waiting for you outside of the door. And what we want you to do with the money 
is take the money and buy yourself another Christmas present. No. <laughs> no. Take that money. First open it up. See how much is in there. It's kind of fun. See how much is in there. I think the, was it 5 to $50, Melanie? Or do we have a couple hundreds in there too? She must be downstairs. But what you're to do with the money is please... Um, Try to find um, a face-to-face opportunity with someone uh, who, who, needs, who needs it, who needs some love. And um, spend it on them. We'll have a link on our website where you can record your stories again. We're collecting quite a few. In time, we'll edit them for some confidentiality purposes, been make them available for you all to share and to read. But some of the ideas, some guy uh, or some lady, I can't remember which, um, Hamden and Wadsworth, there was a homeless person begging and they rolled down their window and said, are you hungry? And he said, yes. And the driver said, hop in, we'll go to Denny's, which is right there. So they went to Denny's together and I think the guy had $5 in his envelope so he bought one of those, you know, four ninety nine Grand Slams. Maybe gave him some orange juice out of his own pocket. I don't know. But sat there with him for an hour and just um, asked him, hey, uh, tell me your story and just listen. I don't know who was more blessed by that time, the man who got uh, some Denny's uh, scrambled eggs or the man who uh, took the time um, to help. And um, enjoy the time that you do with it, but also let it to stand for and to remind you even as you're doing it, you know what, I shouldn't have to wait and really shouldn't wait uh, each year for that red envelope if West Bulls keeps doing that to do something like this. It really should define uh, in large part who I am and what I do every day with everyone I meet, that kind of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control energy and spirit with people that witnesses the love of God. How come I don't do that more? Let it remind you to. I'll ask, um, um, please today, um, take an envelope today only if uh, you decided to participate the last couple of weeks so we make sure that everyone gets one. I think we have enough. Uh, Next week with any leftover, I'll invite you all to do it. And you know, Um, If you didn't get to do it and you wanted to get started this week but you didn't get a red envelope, you can jump right in now and and, and do this just with a fresh five bucks or ten bucks out of your pocket. You don't, it's not a magic red envelope. (laughs) But sometime between now and the end of the year, will you try to do that and then tell us your stories? Elsa Gomez had a red envelope life. She did. She gave and she gave and she gave and she gave of herself. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that um, the devil would organize a violent attack through whoever it is that he influenced. I want to be like Elsa Gomez. The legacy I'd like to leave, the Ebenezer that I'd like to be is, well, you remember 
Remember Todd? What's written on his standing stone? He loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, by loving his neighbor, everyone, as himself. And my friends, I've got a long, long way to go. But so help me God, I'm going to continue to take steps toward that. I hope you do too. A couple of weeks ago I asked the choir if they'd close um, one of my favorite hymns and it uh, references what we've been talking about. It's um, Come Thou Fount and it has that line in there about uh, raising our Ebenezer at the place where God did something great. Ah, for me, with Elsa Gomez in mind, this Ebenezer that God raised, it, uh, because God did something great with Elsa and through her life. May, may all of us allow God to raise us as an unsqueezed, unscrooged Ebenezer that stands for what it truly means to love, especially this time of year. We'll let them close, and then um, I'll pop up for a brief interdiction. Uh, benediction. Let's listen.
hear God's good words from the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who knew what it was like to pass on the love and comfort of God, and that's its very purpose. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. In the name of the Messiah, Jesus, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, West Bowles. God bless you all. Merry Christmas.